If you don't read the newspaper, you're uninformed. If you do read it, you're misinformed. What is the long-term effect of too much information? Information, information, I just need some information. I've been dying, I've been dying, is it lack of education? I've been reading, I've been reading without any transformation. I'm addicted, I'm addicted, is it overstimulation? Hey. Welcome to the Success Report. The Success Report. Hear ye, hear ye, come one, come all. You are listening to the Sixth Sense Report with Joel Nikoloff and Darnell Samuels. Bro, it feels like this one's a long time coming. Really? How so? Well, just the issue's been out there. Um, you know, I, I would say, I mean, the protests have been going on for a little while. And uh, after we did the episode with Shayon uh, and Chopin, I would say is mm-hmm. when we started having a conversation about discussing this topic. Which is? No farmers, no food. Or, or uh, the farmer protests in India. So, sorry, how, how, did, how does this relate to the um, NSARS episode with uh, Shion and Chopin? Um, the, for me, the relationship was that I would like to get somebody who has a on the ground experience or or understanding of the issue so i saw a parallel in how those guys added nuance to our conversation because they either could relate or had family that could be that, that were in the yeah, context they're yeah yeah and they're right. nigerian yeah. um and so although that's not what we're doing today i would say my initial thoughts of this conversation would be to get a local perspective um and so that's where the parallel was drawn, although it's obviously the issues are vastly different. Um, but I think it was shortly after that conversation that I, I mean, I have a buddy of mine um, on Instagram that I was like, hey, you know, do you have a he was posting about this back, whatever, six months ago. And I remember asking him, hey, do you have someone I could potentially talk to about this? Um, never panned out. And, you know, I would say as the listeners, you know, take this as a call that if you know someone or. You yourself are, are knowledgeable on the on the ground perspective. Um, reach out. Maybe we can have a chat and, and publish an episode or record an episode for for, this, for our show. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think for me, what, no, no. What the way how this topic got introduced to me? No, no, no. Farmers, no food was. Uh, I, I was seeing the sticker. I was seeing the the, the bumper stickers all over the place. Um, and we, you know, I live in Brampton, which is, has a large Indian popul- population. And so I was seeing these stickers everywhere. And, you know, my eye, I love, I love great branding. I, 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 I love great graphic design. Like my, uh, my eye naturally just, um, drifts towards well-designed logos and branding. And so when I saw it, I was like, man, this looks like a logo for a sports team. Um, it just it just looks it looks really cool, and so I was like, no farmers, no food, no farmers, no food, and I was seeing it everywhere, and I was just like, well, what? No farmers, no food. What what does that even mean? And so, so which you know, which logo uh, do you, like comes to mind? I just googled, you know, and put. Or I did oh, there's a bunch. Well, I just see like a couple variations, so I'm wondering what you saw. That you're like, oh, this looks like a, a team logo. Because I mean, I see this one with like a tractor and sort of like a sunrise logo. The, the, no, the one, the, one, the one with the, with the tractor. Yeah, no, it looks, yeah, no, it's awesome. 
I love it actually. It's it's amazing. Now I'm looking at it again. Um, when you guys are at home, look it up. I'm like, yeah, the branding looks awesome. Um, so kudos kudos to those guys. And so when 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 we um of course when we start to look into it, then um. Well, this is what we're going to do right now. Uh, so for the listeners, uh, the direction of our conversation will be about um, no farmers, no food, of course. Uh, what does this have to do with Canadians? What exactly do the uh, bills propose? And uh, why do, yeah, what do the bills propose? And what exactly, yeah, what exactly do the bills propose? And, and what, does, uh, what does this no farmers, no food mean? Yeah. Yeah, so we're just going to be looking, yeah, looking at that and... Yeah, how does it, how does, what is this whole thing about? Um, so, yeah, without further ado, let's, uh, let's get into it. So what does the sticker mean? What would you say that, what would you say the sticker means, Joe? Because I know you looked into it as well. I mean, it's, it's, I think you've said it right. It's branding. Um, you know, there's, and, and I mean, I want to be like, I would say for the listener, I would say, you know, take what I'm saying on this episode as like very analytical. Like I want to look at this from both like positive and the negative. What's the, you know, what is the the legitimate claims or concerns? And then, but also, you know, how do, is, are those appropriate or is that like my, my question would be, or my position would be, is it potential that the claims they're making are uh, very, I would use the term carp- carp- compartmentalized, right? Mm-hmm. Like they're so focused on the individual scenario that maybe the arguments uh, lose perspective on the grand scheme of things. So no farmers, no food sort of implies, well, the farmers are a collective. And without us, you'd have no food. Um, or and that and that they're essential. Um, one of the mm-hmm. definitions that I, I found on it was, uh, as descendants of India, we write to express our unconditional support for farmers in India as they struggle against a government that seeks to remove their ancestral rights to farm on their lands. The Indian government is saying they don't want to protect farmers by regulating the market. So that's essentially what the no farmers, no food uh, issue is all about. Yeah, and and you know my, you know I would say my smart aleck comment that to go along with the idea of what I said about you know looking at a collective. Well, what what how does this no farmers no food maybe misrepresent if the position is there's too many farmers. Right, like if, okay, well, yeah, well, we're gonna get to that. We're gonna get to that um, in regards to the bill, but no, no, yeah. but but yeah, and, and yeah, you're right. Like my most of what I gotta say is 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 getting into that, but but my point is more: no farmers, no food implies it's an all or nothing, right? What if what if um, this culture or society has too many farmers? Does how does no farmers, no food represent the nuance? If if let's say the government's approach to these changes is about reducing the number of farmers because there's too many farmers in our in our culture, this no mm-hmm. farmers no food doesn't it sort of would straw man that position, it, and that's why I said the, I use the term collective because to me this no farmers no food makes it an all or nothing. It's either go back to the way we did things with the farmers, 
or you're going to run out of food, right? Mm -hmm. Or we need to take care of all farmers. And, you know, historically in India, that's been through um, MSPs, minimum service prices, or, or maybe service isn't the right word, but minimum prices is essentially what MSPs are. Um, I'll, I'll find it before we finish. But um, the other is through uh, land loans and and forgiveness of land loans of of small farmers so um mm-hmm. i will uh include a or it's called the farm loan waiver i got an article from 2017 that talks about that i'll put that in the show notes page um but the the point is that you know that historical approach has just been maintaining what uh what they've been doing maintaining the number of farmers not really looking for any innovation. And the reason why that's sort of important is that this no farmers, no food is there may be, let's say, certain groups within the farming community that are like, you know what, this is going to hurt us. But maybe there's groups that's going to help. This no farmers, no food just makes it a collective that no matter what, this is bad for all farmers. And, And maybe that's true. But my point is that no farmers, no food just makes it as a slogan that represents it that way, as opposed to making the argument that this is why it's bad for all farmers. It implies, well, you're going to run out of food. Therefore, you need to stop hurting farmers. And, and maybe I'm oversimplifying it. And, and sure, that's how slogans work. Um, but if you're branding really well, you can sell your argument through your brand. And, and that's sort of where I think your point about branding is important to understand that, yeah, this is branding. Hundred percent. This is branding for a position. It's not actually making an argument. Uh, in my yeah. opinion. Now, now for some people who are thinking, okay, well, so what does this have to do with with us as Canadians, right? <laughs> and so for those, yeah. So for us, we have we have a especially in the GTA, we have a large population, like I said before, of um, Indian people, and so we see. Just like just like what we saw with um, NSARS was going to Nigeria, we see um, those who are from Nigeria living in Canada. We see them um, protesting what's going on, and so we see the protesting as well going on. So we see solidarity from the Sikh diaspora in Canada, and so Jokran Sandhu is the director of administration at the World Sikh Organization of Canada, and he said that the protests happening in India are historic. And images from the protests have deeply affected those in the Sikh diaspora in Canada, right? So we see hundreds rally outside the Indian consulate in solidarity with protesting farmers. And we also see that um, all three of Canada's major party leaders have spoken out in support of Indian farmer, farmers' rights to peacefully protest. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau described the situation as concerning at a uh, concerning, right? Um, on November 30th, um, an event celebrating the birth of uh, the first Sikh guru, he said, Canada has reached out to the Indian authorities to voice those concerns. India's Ministry of External Affairs said in a statement, such actions, if continued, would have a seriously damaging impact on ties between India and Canada. Uh, that's just such a politicking 
so annoying. <laughs> just like, well, oh, we want to meddle in your business because we know better than you. Um, again, no, there's no, there's no nuance here. It's like, oh, the government is, is oppressing is farmers. <laughs> well, sorry, hold on, wait. Sorry, are you are you talking about um, Justin Trudeau um, and the government? Um, Justin Trudeau trying to intervene. Yeah, well, like. You know, but not is so that much imperialism? Of, is that like imperialism? Yeah. No, or? it's colonialism. Colonialism? Yeah. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's no, we want we want we want you to do what we do over here. Right? Yo, this is where like facts. the argument about colonialism is, is so ignorant because it's like they want to be colonialists when it's in line with their view. Yeah. Right? But when it changes something they don't to what they don't like, oh no, though that's those the colonialists that are, you know, yeah. uh, a problem. Those are the people we need to condemn. But but at the end of the day, they're just their own colonialists, and and it's just it's ignorance, you know. It's ignorant of really recognizing the principles at play. This is why, like for me, it's all about principles. What's the principle? Principle is for all colonialists, you want to impose your perspective on the land in question. Mm-hmm. And some people now, obviously, let's take the war part out of that, just for argument's sake. In this case, they want to impose a one particular will. And but other versions of that uh, imposing of a will is what they deem immoral because they disagree with the actual perspectives, but they don't present it that way. They present it like the colonialist is the problem. But anyways, I, I can't yeah. go down. That <laughs> but but no, my point is this: this last comment from the uh, your your you know Justin Trudeau, yes, meddling, but his Indian Ministry of External Affairs statement, right? Mm-hmm. Such actions would have a seriously damaging impact on ties between India and Can- India and Canada. Basically what he's saying is stay out of business. No, he's saying well, okay, so I got yeah. I got what he's saying <laughs> the other way around though is like Canada is trying to you know imp- by impose trying by Canada trying to impose their will, we're going to impact the relationships. And but vice versa, Canada arguably could be saying the same thing. Well, if you're doing this, it's going to impact your relationships. To some extent, both sides would be saying the same thing. If you do this, we're, it's going to hurt our relationship. If you don't do this, it's going to hurt our relationship. Mm-hmm. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of silly. At the end of the day, right? Like we, wanna, we, want, we want them to have a democracy, but if they do what we don't like, then, then we have a problem with their democracy. Mm-hmm. Well, well, part of it is, I guess, for us as Canadians, like we also, um, I guess we can, we can uh, empathize with um with 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 um Canadian Canadian Indians in the sense that um that they're protesting for their farmers to be protected and we also we also have policies protecting our farmers right and you've mentioned it before um on the show about the dairy farmers and so forth yeah there's there's sort of I'll, I'll you know I'll put it in the show notes page I won't talk about it too much there's two parts that that have a parallel to Canada. First is that we had some farm protests in March of 2021. Um, now this was related to COVID-19. We had tractors from the Norfolk County farmers were doing a tractor protest. I got a CBC article put in the show notes page. But the point is that you know farmers and government are always in negotiation when you have agricultural boards. You know Canada is rampant. With the you know agricultural board, um, I think it came up a number of episodes when we talked about Maxine Bernier with Tim Moen. I think it came up uh, when we talked about NAFTA. It came up. 
because it's not really a free trade agreement. It's a managed trade agreement. And in our managed trade agreement, guess what? Bringing dairy within Canada is exceptionally difficult. Even, even within Ontario, the amount of dairy we get from Quebec is extremely limited. You know, most Canadians, you know, it's sort of the, the seen and the unseen coming into play here. Most Canadians don't realize the limited access we have to dairy products from around the world. Yeah, but hold on. But but for the listeners probably thinking, they're like, okay, well, so what? So what, right? So what? Yeah. Well, the question becomes, well, how do we get limited access? Well, by tariffs. So we're paying a higher price for dairy because we get it from Ontario because Canadian farmers, it costs more to make. So if Canadian farmers had to compete on the free market with foreign farmers, dairy, Potentially, Canadians would be paying less for their dairy products. Competition drives prices down. The government creates mm-hmm. a barrier to enter the market. Prices are going to be higher than otherwise. Mm-hmm. All other things held you know, constant. And so it matters to Canadians because guess what? Your cost of living is higher. Not to mention the bureaucratic agency that we pay for through our tax dollars slash the prices of dairy because the way dairy works and the same thing here, these farmers, I think it's uh, rice and wheat are the, the main products. But there's the generally speaking, what happens is the government becomes sort of like the wholesaler. The farmers go to the government to sell their product. The retailers and and you know grocery stores go to the government to buy the product from this dairy board. And that dairy board in Canada sets the prices for the most part. So mm-hmm. the same type of thing is happening. The reference to Maxime Bernier episode was uh, basically when Maxime Bernier was running for the Conservative Party, he lost out to seven dairy farmers' votes is sort of the joke. Um, and yeah, there's, that's where uh, Andrew Shear was drinking a tall glass of milk on stage as a, <laughs> you know, mocking the absolute cartel that he has with the dairy industry. But anyways. Um, yeah, but, you know, and uh, we all love farmers. Well, of course, right? We, we gotta love farmers. We, 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 well, I mean, like we, you know, we love the farmers' markets, right? It's um, in our ancestry, bro. Everybody's yeah. family used to be a farmer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, apple factory, um, and it always seems like you know at 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 those farmer markets. Um, if you ever go to those, you should go to your local farmers' market. The food, the produce, um, the things that the farmers bake—it's really awesome. It's really great. Um, and there are people who—I don't know if anybody like knows any farmers i'm i i know some people who are in, into farming uh shout out to wayne uh, vandermeer who's a big listener of the show and julie um oh, yeah, yeah. and yeah yeah wayne, wayne and julie and you know so so um wayne will will you know when i go visit wayne wayne will show me um a bit about the farming lifestyle and it's foreign it's foreign to <laughs> yeah. to oh. to me, right? Uh, yeah. I I didn't I don't I have no idea I didn't grow up that way. But one well, it's thing, even just think about it from a job perspective. Like he's a laborer, you're not. Yeah, right? like when you work, like you're using you know not to say you don't use your hands a, a bit, but like whether it's teaching your other jobs, like you're using your mind. Whereas like his job as a farmer is like not to say they don't use their mind, but how many hours of the day is just spent <laughs> being a laborer. Mm-hmm. Right, like I'm assuming a construction worker could relate a little bit more than someone who works at a computer, but still, mm-hmm. it's a mm-hmm. as you were saying, it's a whole nother world culture. Yeah, it's a whole nother culture, and, and and the point that I was getting at is just that um, that farmers have to earn their keep, mm-hmm. just like just like we see um, like you know about parables in the Bible and about you know sowing and reaping and knowing the time of harvest. 
like uh, it's 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 a make it or break it type of industry. And so what what makes it what what kind of ruins it is protecting protecting farmers from their failures, right? Protecting farmers mm-hmm. from working um, with efficiency and preciseness, right? Um, just like in anything in life, right? It, you you work at something, you fail, and you learn from your failure, um, and so forth. But if you're if you're being protected from your failures, you don't learn from it. Um, it just leads to bad business. And well, so, and, and the, the way that I always say it is like when you mit- when you remove the risk from the reward, you're go- actually going to be more risky. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, and so that, that's what I was thinking in, in regards to this next point with um, what exactly does the bill propose? So what the bill proposes is that um, that the reforms. Um, sorry, one second. Let me pull it up here. So just for context, technically there was three bills passed. Um, they are. There were three. There was three bills. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's three. So it's uh, it's in my. I've got uh, three Mises articles that are uh, the one uh, from October fifteenth called India takes small step towards economic freedom with new agrigarn agrarian reforms agrarian um, so the three bills were titled produce tra- produce trade and commerce promotion and facilitation bill mm-hmm. um farmers empowerment and protection agreement on price assurance and farmer services bill and essential commodities bill um okay so they're okay they're in sequence but anyways um I'm not sure which one particularly you're going to reference, but the, yeah, the no, no, no. It, it, it was it was more so a, a summary of all three. So okay. the reforms uh, loosened rules around the sale, pricing, and storage of farmer-produced rules uh, that have protected India's farmers from the free market for decades. So one of the biggest changes is that farmers will be allowed to sell their produce at a market price directly to private. Players, so mark that down, Joel, um, and to make sure we hit that point, uh, what that actually means, and then the agricultural businesses, uh, so supermarket chains and online grocers, most most Indian farmers currently sell the majority of their produce at government controlled wholesale markets or mandis, m a n d i s, mandis, at assured floor prices. So the reforms at least on paper, give farmers the option of selling outside of this so-called Mandy's system. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that's where, you know, it's like the terminology you said, like protect farmers, right? From the free market, like the boogeyman, right? Like who, what, uh, where, were you reading that from an article? What, uh, I'm curious who the, the company was or the that said what? organization. That that use the terminology of fr- protecting farmers from the free market for decades. Um, check here. Oh yeah, go ahead. Let me find. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. um, but but the point is right. Like that's a very loaded language, right? To say mm-hmm. that the, you know, just to even say, oh, protecting from the free market, right? And so, you know, the you as you were talking, the one thing that I, you know, I sort of mentioned, uh, in Canada, agricultural boards, and and the idea of you know, the farmers coming to the board to sell. Yeah, there, there's a, you know, if I wanted to st- steel man those arguments, why should we do this, right? There's a, a argument being that without food, there's a, it's a natural, food is a national interest 
you know, even from a, a strategic war perspective, right? If you can't feed your populace, you're essentially your country is going to be in in high risk of whether it be you know destroyed or just imploding on itself because you you know your your population is going to die off from starvation and whatnot. So there's sort of an argument from a national interest perspective that farming needs to be protected by the government um, in order to preserve um, you know let's say life or or the the well being of the uh, the governmental or slash you know country's existence. So, um, and, and to some extent, it's not on a reasonable argument. The question of, is it actually make a difference though, is, is obviously not something that government generally evaluates. They go, well, we can, we can argue it's motivated well, so, uh, we can implement these policies because we've got good motivations, um, mm-hmm. and the people will go along with it. So, um, uh, yeah, yeah. The, as I said, the, the terminology of protecting from the free market is interesting. I'm curious, you know, who or or what the le- the let's say the the political leanings of the authors are to word it that way, because uh, the the Mises articles that I would that I'm going to put in the show notes page, as well as uh, some other ones, really refer to this as you know a more laissez-faire reform. So rather than having, I'm sorry, what would you what is uh, laissez-faire? So laissez-faire being the concept of like. Think of like lazy. Um, I know that's a horrible, but the idea is that the government has a takes a lazy approach. Um, I only use it because, let's say, audibly, it sort of sounds similar. The laissez-faire is like a French term. Get up, but essentially, it's a very hands-off governmental approach. And and so, the idea is that government has been deeply embedded in farming in India for a very very long time. The question is, is it actually effective? Has it, you know, and, and, and effective at what? Right. Um, and we won't just go there just yet, but the, the, there's an article uh, that I do want to talk about from 2017 um, in, in fee. But the punchline is in developed countries, on average, about 4% of the workforce is employed in agriculture. In the US, only 2% work in agriculture. Compare with India, what percentage do you think works in agriculture? 50%. That's a lot. 50% of the people in India work in agriculture. Yeah, it says a lot. It says a lot about um, the condition of their, their economy and, what, um, and how their industry functions. Well, and, and tell me one developed nation that the majority of the population works in agriculture. None. Mm. Mm-hmm. Right? Why is that? Well, you know, the very um, socialist left-leaning approach would say, well, they haven't been able to make enough money. Or, you know, uh, it's because the government or, or you know, big corporations, are whatever, right? Like you blame other people. But in from an economics perspective, the idea is that you're, uh, you're not applying the concept of specialization. Right. So two, there's actually the argument in this fee article, and, and I'll pull back so we can go back to the issue before jumping into this a little bit more, is that there's actually too many farmers because they can't leave the industry and they can't do something else um, due to the barriers in the industry or the barriers to leave the industry. So mm-hmm. um, anyways, coming back to um, what you were saying about the bills before I, before I go down that a little bit more. Um, 
the you know i was gonna say that the that the number the 50 percent number isn't isn't is is deceptive because even just going just from the research I've been looking at, um, those numbers are inflated, like you said, because of policies, right? Those those intended unintended consequences that like that's that's abnormally high, abnormally high for um, any any country, and it's unsafe. It, it's it's unreasonable to say, okay, well, it's twenty twenty one. Why are you still? How do you have so many um, people? Um, in the farming industry, and they're like, "Oh, well, it's India, and you know they don't have much resources." But if, it, but because the government is, in a sense, insulating, protecting farmers, it gives more people incentive to go into farming because it is a safe, it's it's a safe place to go and and make money. Yeah, for but, an entrepreneur, um, when you have a a safe option, is that essentially you're forcing your populace to be risk adverse but we know we need entrepreneurs to drive innovation and change you need to take a risk if you want to um let's say scale out of uh, that industry mm -hmm. yeah Sorry. and also the point about um the price fixing mm -hmm. right um, where it said uh, the the floor prices, the assured floor prices, and and the price fixing, and and how that the government isn't allowing the value of the food to reflect its true value, right? It's 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 true it's true price because the government has inflated and it's protected. And is um, setting a set goal for what the prices should be. So for people at home who are thinking, like, imagine you know you're you're a baker and you bake you bake a cake and and you know how much it costs for you to to bake the cake. And so the, the what it costs you, then you can properly calculate the price of what that that cake's gonna cost. Which let's say it costs you fifty dollars to to make the cake. And you're like, okay, well, I need to you know make some money from not just what I, what I used for um, ingredients, but also the time and, and so forth and the labor. So you say, okay, well, costs me 50 bucks or I'm going to charge 75. And then someone else comes along and says, Hey, you know what? Um, to make it, make it affordable for everybody. Let's, let, let's put it at 45. Let's put it at $45. Right. So th at that point, you're not getting the, um, Farmers and the and even the economy is not functioning at its true, um, at, at its true value. Well, and and that's, you know, that I would say to some extent that might be difficult for the, you know, the audience to, to perceive. But again, I would say this is just another example of the government having a hammer, and oh, everything is a nail, right? So again, what the reason? Why do I call it that? Why do I say that? Um, because. Really, they look at it like, well, this is a this is a revenue problem. Everything's are, and the hammer is, you know, government either regulates or or gives people more money, right? Like th th those are basically the the oversimplification of what the government can do. So the MSPs that I was referring to are minimum support prices, um, and you know they essentially go to uh, a APMCs, which are the um, 
I think I don't know if you said this before, state operated agricultural produce market committees. Right. So historically, so this is what so this is a significant change of pace from previous legislation, which the previous legislation mandated that farmers sell their produce in these state operated APMCs. And that's where they would get this minimum support prices. So your point is valid that, you know, the market prices aren't um, are not even observed. And, and so, you know, for the listener, from an economics perspective, the value of market prices is both information and signals. When a price goes up, that tells you that there's generally speaking, a, you know, the demand out matches the supply which means more people want the product than there are product available. So the price would go up. When the price goes down, that means there's more product available than the people that want it. And so in order to, for the market to clear, I mean, that's an oversimplification, but, but that's the fundamental you know, market signals that are being displayed when there's a price change. And by the government intervening with these prices, that information for entrepreneurs to be able to evaluate, okay, do I produce more uh, let's say of a particular good than another, maybe I should change my farm. So I stop producing wheat and start producing more rice or vice versa. Or maybe I start growing apple trees or whatever, right? Like, I don't know what the, the let's say produce options are for the, the land. And I'm sure it's pretty diverse over the country. But the point is that that price changes are actually signals of underlying changes in the market conditions. And it's the, entre- the good entrepreneurs who read those signals and make forward the better forward-looking decisions, who make more money. So you've actually removed the ability for smart entrepreneurs to make money when you, when you flatline the prices. Or mm-hmm. you, you drive out people from innovating. Why would I innovate and, and in the industry if I, I can't charge a higher price for this innovation, let's say? Right. Um, and and what's, what's fascinating is that the hostility from the farmers which we see in India and then we're seeing it here in Canada. And so like you have to put put yourself in the shoes of the farmers in India and for for decades been in this industry that has been fruitful for them um where they've been able to, you know, make a living and and have some some financial consistency. But what I think what's what's making them feel insecure and what's bringing up the hostility is that the government provides them with a generous subsidies exemption from income tax and crop and crop insurance and they're also guaranteed prices um for 23 crops and debts are often waived when they are unable to pay off loans sounds pretty good so although although more than half of indians uh, work on farms uh, farming accounts for barely like a sixth of the country's gdp and so in a country where agriculture employs so many millions, leaving farmers' fates to the, um, the markets um, cannot be the only answer, is what some people are thinking. Well, and, and I mean, I don't know if a, you, like, there was, and I don't want to d- delve down this too much because I don't, I'm not necessarily prepared to make the full arguments about it, but I do recall about five years ago, 2016, something like that, remembering something about um a lot of suicides from farmers mm-hmm. right so you know even though like what you're talking about right there if they have a damaged crop that this you know if you have 
if you have a bad year of crops, you know, financially you're ruined, especially if you was purely left to the free market. But what, you know, the government has sort of done is brought in the safety net concept and, you know, the loan waivers um, that, that they would essentially give the farmer money. They would, and then, you know, potentially waive the ability for them to pay that loan back because they want to preserve, you know, the populace. Those are things that are helpful to get elected for politicians. Those are helping individual people. But the question becomes, is that good for the long-term health of the farming industry? And nobody- Or the country as a whole. Oh yeah, that exactly. Right? That goes back to, is 50% of the workforce in farming and agriculture productive for this country as a whole? Those aren't questions being asked because, again, I use that term (laughs) compartmentalized because while the farmer- goes and says, in my short term of one to five years, this is really bad for me. But when you start to take a time scale of 30 to 50 years, is that still a bad decision? Maybe it's a short-term difficulty that has long-term gain. And, and arguably, maybe it's the farming, agriculture, government intervention that's actually preventing the change to get from 50% to 2%. And so while this you know, government program might be helping in the short run. It's preventing the long-term change that's necessary for you to increase the average standard of living. And so, you know, what's interesting to come back around to the article uh, from Fee is that this guy really argues that what guy? Uh, so, um, I, I'm gonna no, I, I'm 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 putting you on the spot to say his name. Well, yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> I, it sounds like the. Or basically, by based on the spelling, it looks like he has at least a personal interest in in uh, the you know farming in in India. So this guy's name is Jarajaj Devadaga. The last name was probably better pronunciation than the first, but anyways, yeah. But he's a really smart guy. It, yeah, this is I, I was so I'm gonna have two articles in the show notes page from him. One is from 2017. Uh, that's called Help. How to help farmers, and that's what I'm going to use uh, as a really launch pad for the rest of my comment. Um, and then he has another article t- from 2020, November 2020, says, "Let us abandon protectionism and embrace free trade." And that one's on uh, LiveMint.com. The other help farmers is on Feed.org. Um, and you know what? And this again from 2017. He's really what he's arguing for is what they ended up doing, but he speaks to so much of the environment that I think would be helpful for the listener who wants to understand this issue. This is someone who's saying, here's what the government currently does. And, and he has this great line in here that says, um, you know, the approach, the solution that he's proposing, which is the laissez-faire approach, might not be an election winning formula, such as the MSPs and loan waivers. So, and that's sort of what I was getting at, right? Like, when you're trying to get elected, really, you got to tailor your message and, and positions to the short term. Right? You got to do what, what the people think is best in the short term. But it might not be the efficient economic thing to do in the long run. And, and so that's where he's saying the solutions um, don't align with the historical loan waivers and MSPs. But it's again taking a, a higher level perspective. It's taking Trying to say, how do we resolve this problem 
and actually analyzing the nuance of something like 50% of the country and going, maybe that's a bad thing. Well, what is presenting, preventing people from leaving the farming industry? And so he identifies two things. He says, actually, saturation is ruining farmers' income. And, and you're like, well, how's that case? So um, in the US, he says the average farm household makes about $80,000 annually. In India, that number is 1,200. So how do, and then he asked the question, how does having too many farmers impact farm income? And, and in essence, it's the concept of economies of scale. Um, you become more efficient as you scale up your operation. And you might say, well, why can't they do that? Well, there are some high levels of regulation within the country that prevent this. The first is um, if you were uh, trying to sell your land, you can only sell it to other farmers. But there are also land ceilings, which limit the amount of land a single farmer can own. So the, 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 he says this creates the aforementioned problem of small farm holdings. So the government regulation on farmland limits the size of the amount an individual farmer can own. So the amount of land that one person can run. And two, the, the farmer can only sell his land to another farmer. So if my land has increased its value for something other than farming, I can't reap the value of that land because I can only sell it to someone else who's a farmer. Now, if a farmer wants to sell his land, and this article says, to an industrialist, he needs government permission, which is difficult and costly to obtain. So the government has created a barrier to exit the market. And so this is where he really, this article is so great at identifying that, you know, if you look at the current environment, what the government was doing was perpetuating this problem of low-income farming. And the solutions he was proposing in 2017 is what the government's taking on, which is a laissez-faire approach. Let's, let's remove government agricultural boards or at least limit them um, so that the free market can, can flourish. Now, I would say, as to wrap that point up, um, there, you've, you've removed the agricultural board, which I would argue removes a power vacuum or, or sorry, creates a power vacuum. And I would have concern that now government is going to partner with corporate entities to potentially um, to the detriment of the individual farmers. So uh, I would still be worried about cronyism and crony capitalism uh, as a secondary thing the government does in response to these changes. But these changes in and of themselves, I think, are very good and could lead to some long term benefits. Um, and, and that's where. I think having some perspective from someone locally might give us uh, some nuance to our perspectives. Um, but I think this article, to me, was very, very informative. Uh, and, and maybe we'll get, you know, be blessed if we can bring this guy on the show uh, and try to get him to maybe give an update on this article and what he really thinks of these changes. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, so what would you say, what's your two cents on, the, on this issue? I think this is an issue that, like almost every issue in today's society, gets turned into a left-right. You know, are you on the motive, morally motivated side? 
And so, you know, no farmer, no food becomes, well, the government isn't helping the people, therefore it's evil, right? So I think the, the discussion is lacks nuance. You see our Canadian politicians want to do colonialism uh, without recognizing <laughs> it. And, and, you know, it's just ignorance of the principles because these politicians are, most of our media don't have principles. They have positions. They have, you know, I'm, let's say, more left-leaning, which means they want to help people, but they don't at all care to dig into how and effectiveness. It's all, you know, it's, it's, as I've always said, a lot of the debates become arguing motivations where the other side's arguing about outcomes. And the, and the two of them are just arguing past each other because, you know, let's say the right doesn't recognize the, why the left's position is what it is. And the left doesn't recognize what the right's position is and why it is what it is. So, yeah, that's sort of, you know, my two cents on this. What about you? What's your two cents? What do you think uh, you want to leave the listener with? Uh, I would say that. Okay, well, well, firstly, the first point would be that. Be careful of sloganeering and great branding. As, as much as I love it, you got to be careful of it. Um, it often exaggerates uh, the heart of the issue. Hence why I enjoy great branding because it sucks you in. And so um, <laughs> me as, a, as an avid consumer, right? Because when I buy things, I always ask myself, what about this branding is making me want to go buy this new watch or this new shoe? Right. I, I really ask that to myself. I'm like, what about it is about this logo, this color scheme that I love that I just got to have it. And then I make the purchase. So I'm, I'm consciously competent of, um, of, of, of my purchases and, and the things I invest in and the way it's branded to me. Right. And so we should do that as well. Uh, this, my second point is that the, the issue is not no farmers, no food. Right. It's not no farmers, no food, but too many farmers, too much food, not enough money. Mm -hmm. And so the, the problem is the government has been propping up farmers. So you have guys farming who should not be farming. So to make sure that there's enough money for true farmers, you have to let them stand on their own, which means that there's going to be uh, people, uh, farmers who are going to be out of work and, and pushed out of the market because of their inefficiency and inability to actually be farmers or be great farmers. And so you don't have the government protecting them. So it's, it's simple math, like the author said um, of the article. Uh, to increase farmer incomes, it is necessary to reduce the number of farmers. So farmers should be allowed, um, from a biblical perspective, farmers should be allowed to reap what they sow not reap what the government sows. I think that these policies, the new policies, the changes are good for the India, India's economy and that it will be, it'll be rough, but it forces people to create alternative industries to survive because they have to survive. Which will, in, in result, raise the standard of living. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So even so, as so even as Christians, right, we always feel the moral obligation uh, to relieve people from from hardship, right? Mercy ministry, and that and that's true, and that's great. But we have to be careful that um, our helping actually does hurting, right? And that um, the helping that we do doesn't empower, and it does the helping we do doesn't actually lead to long term prosperity. So we have to not just think with our hearts, but think with our minds when it comes to 
Christians engaging in policy and supporting particular ideas. So as Canadians now, uh, we forget that Canada was once, um, was once, uh, wasn't always a first world country. Right. Um, We weren't all, we weren't always, no, we weren't always (laughs) prosperous, right? We we always didn't have a prosperous economy. Right. Um, And it didn't come to pass overnight. And so, right. We started out as farmers and it took time for our economy to evolve into what we see today. And I believe that it can be done um, the same for India. Mm-hmm. Let us let us know what you guys think. Uh, was this was this enlightening? Because sometimes you, I don't know. This is new to you guys. Um, was there anything that we need to uh, clarify? Are we being unfair? Did you learn something new? Let us know what you guys think. You can contact us at sixcentsreport at gmail And if you're trying to get in touch with Joel, uh, T Joel N thirty nine everywhere. Uh, check out our link tree as well on our uh, show notes page. It usually has most of our links. Uh, Darnell, where can I reach you? you? They can holla at me uh, at, um, on Twitter and Instagram at Dugada Darnell, D-O-G-U-D-D-A underscore Darnell and Darnell Samuels. Uh, Darnell Samuels on Facebook. Oh, and you can email me, Darnell at SixSenseReport.com. And uh, I hope for the listener, you know, you realize we're trying to bring nuance to this conversation. I didn't want to, I think we probably avoided the the pro-protester side. Uh, and that was more so because I feel like that was already what most people would have known about. Not that we didn't want to steel man that side, uh, but we wanted to bring some nuance and, and different aspects and so, of the conversation. And so, and so now you know what the sticker means. So if someone wants, wants you to put on your car, you can... Make an informed decision. Six cents makes change. But you heard me. Does that make sense? Madden and Mitchell Media.